0: That was not the voice of Dr. Stephen Hawking, because you may know Dr. Stephen Hawking, a brilliant man, is afflicted bodily and unable to communicate in normal fashion, but he has a brilliant mind, uh, a magnificent mind, and he's come up with a theory with regard to the origin of the universe. You saw a little bit of it demonstrated to you here on the screen. Uh, He speaks of chance and luck and um, arbitrariness and whimsy, and and all else developed from it—a uh, a chance mixture of gases and matter coming together and leading to us. And so his cosmology, his explanation for origins, is randomness, chance, imperfection, all the rest, as you saw. Uh, I don't know if you buy into that perspective on the origins of life. I can tell you that the writer of the book we have begun to study does not see things that way. John, the apostle, not nearly as well educated as Dr. Stephen Hawking, uh, not nearly as academically proficient. John was a Jewish fisherman, uh, and yet he was not darkened in his understanding And he knew something, he saw something that not even someone as brilliant as Dr. Hawking is able to see. And it's this in John chapter 1, verse 2. We looked at verse 1 last week. Let's take a look at verse 2 tonight. This is what John says. It's simple. He was in the beginning with God. Speaking of origins and beginnings... At the beginning of all that which began, he was. That's what John says. So John is saying what preceded matter, gases, and all the rest that Stephen Hawking uh, is um, uh, uh, explaining our origins from. Even before all that, uh, John says there was a he who was. The he had pre-existence. Uh, Last week, we identified the he, in an interesting way, as the Word, and the suspense was killing us, so I asked you to skip with me, Uh, poor Bible study method, but we skipped all the way down to verse 14 to find out the identity of who the Word is, and it said there, remember, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and I asked you uh, who you thought that was a reference to, I'll ask again, who do you think that is a reference to? That's Jesus. So we know the he who was in the beginning with God is none other than Jesus. When when all other things began, John says this he, the word, already was. Now there are at least two things you would expect of one claiming to be God. If you're inclined to make that claim tonight, Uh, let me give you at least two prerequisites you have to satisfy. The first is, if you claim to be God, whoever claims to be God has to be pre-existent, meaning you're not a caused being. If you're a caused being, you are not God. You are what theologians call a necessary being if you're God. You're not contingent. We are contingent beings. Our existence is contingent on the existence of one greater than us. But God, by definition, has none greater than him. Therefore, one of the attributes of God is preexistence. Before anything was, he, God, was. And the second expectation we would justifiably have of one claiming to be God. First is pre-existence, and the other is the power to bring into existence everything else. If you uh, claim to be God, then you have to demonstrate, give evidence that you are pre-existence, and what's more, you have the power to bring into being everything else apart from you that has existence. John's purpose even in the first few verses that we've been reflecting on, is to demonstrate that this one, Jesus of Nazareth, satisfies these two prerequisites and expectations of God. In the beginning was the Word. The beginning of what? In the beginning of all things, He was. Jesus is the only one who never began. He always was. He satisfies the prerequisite, of preexistence, And second, John is about to show us, this flies in the face of what you just saw from Dr. Stephen Hawking. John is about to show us that this Jesus satisfies the second prerequisite, that is to say he has the power to bring into existence everything else that exists. And here it is in verse 3. Take a look. All things, all things, no exception, came into being Through him, the him is the word, the logos, the him is Jesus. All things, without exception, came into being through him. He's the agent of creation. And apart from him, nothing. Look at the absolutes, all and nothing. All that is, is because of him. And apart from him, absolutely nothing is. Nothing came into being that has, in fact, come In other words, John is saying the universe owes its existence to Jesus Christ. Even Dr. Stephen Hawking in his beautiful, magnificent mind, all that is attributable to Jesus, who is the agent of creation. John is saying, in an economy of words, he is saying, apart from him, existence is impossible. Nobody here is generated. Everyone's existence here is contingent on the necessary being who has no beginning nor end. That is Jesus Christ. He always was, and everything else came into being. Those are the words. He was, but everything else came into being. What's more, he's the agent through which all things came into being. Everything had a beginning, but Jesus is eternal, there never, in other words, was a time when he, Jesus, was not. But the rest of us came into being, which leads to this question. How did we get here? Many intellectuals, scientists like Dr. Stephen Hawking are, are offering explanations for origins and our existence. How did we get here? Uh, to me... To keep it simple, there are two possibilities. One, it all started with God. Or two, it all started with matter. Those are the only two explanations for origins. In the beginning, God, that's one explanation. Or in the beginning, matter, that's another explanation. There's no other possibility. Now, these are two very different answers to our question about how did we get here, and yet these two very different answers have something very fundamentally in common, and it's this, both require faith. Did you know that? If you opt for explanation one, the explanation for origins is God— That's a faith perspective. If you opt for option two, the explanation for our being is matter, that too requires faith. Why? Because nobody advancing those theories was there (laughs) at the time. Not even Dr. Stephen Hawking, as brilliant as he is, he was not there at the time. We're all making some faith jumps in order to come up with one of the two explanations for our existence. Now, I emphasize that because we evangelical Bible-believing Christians have been put in a corner by the so-called scientific community of which Dr. Hawking is an astute and esteemed member, and they've made a distinction between the scientific perspective and the philosophical or religious perspective of naive ones such as us. But it's a false distinction, and I'll tell you why. Good science is based on observation, measurement, and repetition. If you can't observe it, measure it, and repeat it, it's not good science. It's speculation. It's hypothesis. It's theory. I can't even say it, let alone buy into it. Folks, not even Dr. Stephen Hawking and his comrades, as brilliant as they are, can Uh, uh, apply good science to their theory of origins because their theories cannot be observed. They can't stand the test of observable evidence, repetitive experimentation, and measurement. It's a faith perspective. The only difference between the so-called scientific community and folks like you and I is that we're willing to admit we approach the question of origins with a presupposition. And here's our presupposition. We believe the Bible is God's word. We start there. So when it says, in the beginning, God, that's our presupposition. We make no attempt to prove it. We, uh, we cannot replicate it. It's a faith perspective. We believe the design of the universe posits a designer. We start with the designer. We think it's foolish not to believe in a transcendent deity who put all these things into existence. We don't understand it all, and we weren't there. By faith, by confidence in God's written revelation, the Bible, we answer the question, the fundamental question about how we got here. We admit that. The only difference between us and the scientific community is that they start with a presupposition as well, but they won't own into it. And here's the unproven presupposition. We start with God. They start with inanimate matter. And they can't prove it any more than we can, the existence of God. Don't you see? If I tell you, uh, in eternity, before the beginning of things, there was God... Uh, How is that a less credible statement than me saying in the beginning, in eternity, before all things, there was matter? Both are uh, philosophical worldviews. The only difference between us and a guy like Dr. Stephen Hawking is that we admit our worldview is informed by the Bible, which we believe is the word of God. And he is claiming that his worldview is informed by good science. It's not good science. I love the ball-bearing illustration. Isn't that cutesy? But it's not good science. It's speculation. It's one brilliant man's attempt to explain beginnings apart from the God who gave rise to all manner of things so I don't know about you but I'm tired of taking a back seat to these so called uh, intellectual elitists who put us down they can't replicate anything they can't demonstrate the veracity of their theory for instance let's talk about this just for a little bit because why not I'm hot Um, so So here's the deal. When it comes to, again, explaining beginnings, and that's a very, very valid topic for consideration, um, you can choose an explanation based on the pre-existence of God or on the pre-existence of matter. Uh, And that leads to something called the theory of evolution. Now, if you embrace the theory of evolution, Uh, evolution, you have to accept two things. I'm trying to keep this simple because I don't understand all the complexities. But uh, what is is, uh, simple and clear to me is enough for us to draw a conclusion from. If you choose the theory of evolution, that is to say there was... Before time, matter, and it came together inexplicably. And simple, uh, inanimate matter gave rise to complex, viable human life. That's kind of the theory of evolution. So if you buy into that as the explanation for origins, you have to accept two things. Here's the first. Life came from non-life. It's a free country. You can buy into that if you want to. See, that's what Stephen Hawking's theory essentially is. In the beginning, there was no God. In the beginning, there was inanimate matter, chemicals, gases, somewhere, inexplicably there. So, uh, and from these inanimate things, these material things, came us, higher forms of life. So if you buy into that, naturalistic explanation of origins, you have to accept the fact that life came from non-life. But folks, nobody, not even Dr. Stephen Hawking really knows for sure how we actually got here by evolutionary processes and Therefore, how can you know that we did get here by evolutionary processes? Don't accept as being verifiable good science the theoretical, speculative, philosophical points of view of someone even as brilliant as Dr. Stephen Hawking. Ask questions like prove it, show me. So you have to make a blind leap from logic to faith. If you opt for um, a proposition number one, life came from non-life. By the way, it takes a lot more faith to believe that than to believe a living God uh, is the uh, author of life. I don't understand why that's such a big leap, for crying out loud. It's more of a leap to say from gases and chemicals. Who, you hear what he said? Imperfections and randomness and mistake. And one of the absolutes in the universe, you, you, you saw so what he says, is imperfection. And, uh, uh, because that's as, uh, as religious a statement as, as ever I've heard. It presumes a confidence in that which is unseen and unverifiable. So that's proposition one. If you buy into that, you have to believe that life came uh, from non-life. And here's the second thing you have to accept um, if you buy into the theory of evolution. It's that life evolved from simple forms to complex forms over time. But folks, that just seems to fly in the face of of the record, the fossil record. For instance, for us as humans, it appears that when we appeared in history, we appeared as fully and completely homo sapiens. Humans There aren't transitional forms. Show me that in the fossil. It's speculation for crime. I know you can have these charts, you know, they start out with a little something, you know, a one cell thing in the sea and then they grow and all this. you You got apes and then you got it's just a drawing. There's no scientific basis for it. Oh, I wonder if that's why they actually unashamedly do call it the theory of evolution. It's not the proven law of evolution. It's the theory. Look, they're entitled to do that. But you and I should not take a back seat when we admit our faith is based on a proposition, presupposition. And it begins with this. God is. Prove it, say they. I can't. God doesn't even want me wasting my breath. Because the God who is says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So, 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 so yeah, our faith is based on a presupposition. Our starting point is God. But the uh, folks in the scientific community, like Dr. Hawking, begin with another starting point. His starting point is matter. Why is his perspective more scientifically credible than ours is? He can't prove that. He can't prove it. So where is the evidence that matter, left alone, can organize itself upward and become viable, complex life? Can you please show me that? Where is the evidence? I want to be scientific. Because science is not in conflict with the Bible. Good science is not. You know what science is? It's simply a recognition of the laws the creator has put into existence. That's all. Good science is not contrary to the Bible by no means. Show me some good science which demonstrates how inanimate matter somehow could grow up into complex life forms like you and me. Show me that. And yet that stuff is taught and bought uh in our universities, forget universities in our high schools and even earlier on every every day. It's just not accurate. If if you believe that matter can do that, um where is the evidence? And with that the without the evidence, you you don't have good science. You simply have uh, a philosophical statement of of things. So um, you have to have a lot of faith. I don't have this much faith. You have to have, a person has to have a lot of faith to accept the theory of evolution as the explanation for our origins. For instance, it takes faith, does it not, to believe that the world sprang into existence from nothing and for no reason. It takes faith to believe that. I mean, you look through a microscope and you see the world they're in, and then go to the other extreme and look through the lens of a telescope and see what it reveals. We're somewhere in between the two. Do you realize how much faith it takes to believe that all that simply sprang into existence from nothing and for no reason? I don't have enough faith to believe that. I just have enough faith to believe God is. Jesus was. I just have enough faith to believe that Jesus is the agent of creation. Call me foolish. But look in the mirror. Look at the uh, conclusions. Brilliant ones in the scientific community are rushing to without nearly the um, justification that ones like you and I have uh, for putting our unbridled faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as preexistent deity. Listen, uh, you have to have a lot of faith to believe in all this stuff. It takes faith to believe that though you cannot explain how matter got here, you still believe it is eternal. You can't explain how matter got here, yet you still believe it's eternal. That's crazy. Dr. Stephen Hawking spoke about gases and all this other kind of stuff. That's matter. How did it get here? <laughs> it? John offers an explanation. He was in the beginning. What preceded the existence of matter is the preexistent deity known as Jesus Christ. And through him, all else came into being. Why does that sound like a ridiculous statement when ball bearings makes more sense? It doesn't to me. Folks, it takes faith to believe that impersonal matter created personal people. (laughs) Folks, I'm not so hot, but, you know, don't, don't trace my beginnings back to a rock. Come on. It takes faith to believe that species evolve over long periods of time from one kind of animal to another when, in fact, you cannot show incontrovertible evidence of transitional forms of life between those species. It's the theory of evolution, that's all. Now, folks, because of the non-evidentiary basis of this belief system called evolution, Uh, I think it's more accurately referred to as simply as a philosophical worldview rather than a science. It's not science. It's philosophy. So if the theory of evolution, for instance, is non-scientific, why would brilliant scientific people, uh, the likes of uh, which we just heard from, why would folks like that choose it as an explanation for our origins. Now, let me just speculate here and throw my two cents in. I'll tell you why. If you can succeed in taking God out of the equation of life, then you don't have to live your life in submission to him. This is my theory. Ah, Excuse me, it's not a theory. Uh, based on my presuppositional belief in the veracity of Scripture, eventually we'll get to what John says about this. Maybe we'll get there. And he said something like, um, And the uh, darkness, uh, people loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. I mean, there's no way if I'm breaking into someone's house, I want to find a cop. And there's no way if I want to be the master of my own destiny. I want to find God as the creator of the universe. Therefore, I want to explain him away. And I'll opt for randomness and whimsy in the universe, such as a brilliant one like Dr. Stephen Hawking opts for, rather than there is a transcendent deity who has no beginning nor any end, and who merely in the power of his word spoke all things into existence and sustains the universe according to his providential care and design. I would rather dispute that, demean it, dismiss it, and those who hold to it so that I can have freedom to do what I want to do and be who I want to be, I don't ever have to pause and say, what would Jesus do? All I have to do is say, Jesus is nobody to submit to. He's just a renegade Jewish rabbi who fell short of what he claimed to be. John said, no, he was in the beginning with God. He's the Word. And the Word was God. And therefore, we are obligated to order our lives in submission to the agent who gave us life to begin with. I think that's why even brilliant ones, you can't find Jesus uh, as a function of IQ you can only find him as a function of a crushed and needy heart that cries out to the giver of life. And that says, oh, God, give me the life you intend for me to have before I squander one more bit of it by acting as if I'm a free agent. Dr. Stephen Hawking is no free agent and neither is anyone here. We trace our origins to the creator who has claim on our lives. But if you don't want that claim, you just deny his existence. And that's why even brilliant people uh, can so readily do so. Now I want to suggest for you uh, an alternative world view uh, offered as an explanation for our existence. It's not as creative and fanciful and intriguing as that of Dr. Stephen Hawking. It's just the words of a Jewish fisherman who wrote 2,000 years ago. I'll read it to you again. It's John, and he expressed this in chapter 1, verse 3 of his gospel. He said, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. God's word is our most reliable source of information about our origins because only God, the author of it, was there at the time. God's word reveals that our existence is attributed directly to the Lord Jesus. Listen, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and what's more, for him. He is not created. He's the author of creation. He is the agent of creation. And he's not only the agent of creation, he's its goal. All created things are given life so that those lives would redound to the glory of the giver of life. All things have been created through him and for him. John, a simple fisherman, makes this statement. He He uh, states the biblical position on the origins of the universe very clearly. It's right there in chapter 1, verse 3. Since the word, the Lord Jesus, is the author of creation, I want to make this statement as we draw uh, to a close. If he's the author and agent of creation uh, and the giver of life, he knows how to repair it when it goes awry. He knows how to fix lives when they are broken. He knows what breaks a relationship between created beings and the creator. creator. He calls it, we may deny it, he calls it sin. He says sin interferes with, breaks the relationship between creature and creator. And Jesus says, I know how to fix it. I came to repair it. There's a lot of broken stuff going on today, isn't there? Marriages, economy, families, on and on and on and on. Jesus says, I know what breaks things and I know how to repair it. Why are we making recourse to every other source of information but him, the manufacturer? You know, when I walked up these steps earlier, I remembered that they were built by a church member. See these steps? This set and that set over there. When we constructed this building and had this beautiful stage, it was really, really wonderful. And then we realized, oh, my goodness, how are we going to get up there? Uh, And and weddings and so on, you know, how you get the bride up there and all this kind of stuff. So one of our wonderful church members who can do anything, Alan Sismar. You know, Alan, he's really, really great. He doesn't come to church on Wednesday night, but he's okay anyway. Uh, He made these. We asked him to make them. And and, uh, it's really fascinating. There's like a border over here. And, this, and the grain of the wood matches this. And the color, he stained it so that this would match it. I bet you never even realized this, this is a standalone thing. There are wheels on it, I think. So if we ever had to, because we need room over here, we can wheel these things away. It's fascinating. And I want to tell you something. If the stain doesn't hold or if there comes to be a chip in it or something like that, who do you think we're going to go to? Hey, Al, what's up? What's the you know that stain you used? Where do do you have the code the secret code? Oh yeah yeah I got it. Okay because this is like a place you know it needs to be like re-stained. Who do you think we're gonna call? We call Alan. He did. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, the chip you know the corner on step number three you know it's kind of wearing out. You know what is that? It's like oak? Is it pine? What is? it? I don't know anything. what is that? Oh yeah yeah I got this. I got the extras here. I got. You know. Why do we see this? sensibility of doing that when something made by someone breaks you go to the one who made it and when lives are being broken disarray disorganization why do we go every place except the one who made life to begin with jesus said i know why you're broken and i came i came to fix it why don't we run to jesus I respect Dr. Stephen Hawking, a brilliant mind. I respect him enough to plead with Almighty God to save his sin sick soul. But I'm not running to him for answers about how things work. He's a broken man, not just physically, spiritually. Doesn't it make more sense to run to the Maker? God, what's wrong with my life? It's broken. It's in disarray. I'm in despair. Doesn't it make sense to run to Jesus? And that's exactly why he came. So we would be able to know where to go. I can't access God. I haven't seen him. I have not heard from him. I've not felt his touch, literally. And so he, he reduced himself to a body. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't need some kind of off-the-charts IQ to access deity. Now I don't have to rely on speculation and philosophy and so-called educated guesswork. I could run to Jesus, and there I could find exactly who God is and what God looks like. For to find the Son is to find the Father. Have you run to Jesus? Is your life in disarray? Have you run to him? Why not? He waits for you too. Do you know he's responsible for your origin? Do you know he's responsible for your birth and for your being? And he bequeathed that to you because, I'll tell you why, he wants to do life together. He's not an inanimate object, ball bearings, gases in primordial days. He's God enfleshed. He has thoughts. He has feelings. He has a will. And he brings all those faculties to bear onto bringing us into relationship with him so that we could live life as it was meant to be. Listen, I close with this. I read an article the other day in the Christian Post by an author named John Stone Street. Stone Street was simply reporting on a discovery the scientific community recently made. It's quite fascinating. I hope I'm not being too graphic when I share it with you, but you'll get what I meant. They were able to demonstrate something uh, remarkable that happens at the point of conception. When a sperm and egg are joined together in the body of a woman, scientists have recognized light is generated. When God created things, he said, let there be light, light. You'll see in John's gospel is often associated with almighty God, light. At the point when a human life begins, at the point of conception, folks, fireworks go off. This is not a theological statement. It's a scientific statement. They've discovered this. It's scientists at Northwestern University, Evanston, Illinois, By the way, I'm familiar with that school. I used to be with a group called Jews for Jesus, and that was my assignment, that campus. It was right outside of Chicago, and I would go there daily wearing a shirt that said Jews for Jesus. They had an enormous number of Jewish students and faculty there. And boy, did we have interesting conversations. It was like wearing a Target for crying out loud. So I know Northwestern University, not in a good way. But anyway, that's where the scientists came up with this discovery. It's as if God is saying, I am so filled with joy at the beginning of your very life that I set off fireworks. It was a celebration the likes of which I can't even explain to you because I knew now there would be the potential for you and me to do life together. Did you squander that potential? I did for 23 years. Could I just say this? Better late than never. If you've not said to Creator God, to the Lord Jesus, who was before anything else was, and who is to be your Savior right now. If you've not said to him, I've gone astray. I've tried to be the master of my own destiny. I've lived life at best, giving lip service to you, perhaps being there. And now I realize I've broken down, and the relationship between me and you is surely broken Lord Jesus, for that's who you are. Come into my life, forgive my sins and transgressions. And effect a reconciliation between me, a very sinful person, and your Father, a very holy God. You who are the agent of the cosmos, would you make me a new creation? And that's exactly what the Bible says. If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. I beseech you, I beseech you, don't leave here tonight without accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior.